Hello, and welcome to the R Resources Podcast. I'm your host, Kalen Burand. So today's podcast is going to be different than every other episode that we've had so far uh, on the R Resources podcast. Uh, With starting the new year, with starting 2023, um, I'm recording this in January 1st, 2023, and plan to publish it later today. Uh, I wanted to do a a monologue talking about myself, introducing you, the listener, to, to me and the podcast as well as dive into some of the ideas that, that are shaping these episodes and give you an idea of what the R Resources podcast is going to be like in the future. By the end of today's episode, what I would like to get across to everyone who's listening to this, I, I first want to be able to, to prove to you that this podcast is, is worth investing your time listening to. I recognize that there are a lot of different podcasts available all with some very talented people as well as hard workers that are producing valuable content. I I personally listen to a lot of podcasts and can recognize that where you put your time into listening to someone is is a it's an investment. It's a time investment. At the end of the day, the most most valuable thing that we all have is time. Um, and so by the end of today's episode, I'd really like to be able to prove to you that investing your time into listening to this podcast is is going to have a notable return that your return on your investment is going to be substantial and that you should continue listening. The second major message I want to get out of this podcast is that I would like to be able to to know that by by the end of today's episode I want everyone to be able to understand that they can make a positive change in the way that we extract, use, consume our resources. And we're going to be talking about some of the, the major issues that are commonly touted as you know potentially insurmountable uh, within the variety of natural resources that we use. And I, and I hope that by the end of today's episode that you're able to understand that by taking a very proactive, positive uh, look and, and being proactive within your daily life about how you interact with our resources, that you can make a, a pretty major impact. And so with that said, I wanted to, to start off today's episode, and, and I promise we'll be coming back to these, these two main issues uh, towards the end of the podcast as I dive into to some of the, the topics that we're going to discuss in this monologue. The first thing I want to do is, is introduce myself. I, I realize that many of the listeners probably have no clue who I am, what my background is, why I'm making a podcast, and, and why I believe you should listen to it. And so the first thing I, I wanted to do is introduce myself, and then I'm going to dive into really the, the meat and guts of, of the podcast. Uh, but before I do that, the very first question I hope that you are asking yourself is, we are six episodes into this podcast. Why am I just now doing an introduction to the podcast? And that is a very good question. And my answer to that is that during these first few episodes of the R Resources podcast, my vision for this this project has changed substantially uh, through speaking with a variety of professionals and experts and researchers on a variety of topics. I've I've expanded my own worldview, and because that it has reshaped some of the original visions that I've had for this podcast. Uh, so, 
when I first started our resources, I, I created a plan with a vision, a mission, but that's been revised after doing a few episodes. And what I'm presenting to you today is what I would like to consider the finalized version of this plan. So it's because I have gone back in and revised and iteratively, hopefully improved the vision for this podcast that I am just now interested. So anyway, with, with that question hopefully answered, uh, I wanted to start off by introducing myself, give you an understanding of, of who I am and my background. So the introduction to me, I, I want to put a large caveat on it that I wear many hats. I'm I'm very curious, so I can't imagine a time in my life, any time in the future, where I will not have three to four projects that I am simultaneously working on. It's something that I have done for over a decade of my life. I'm very curious, and I, I do get bored easily. Uh, so as we go through my background, uh, a lot of people may have have noted, and, and correctly so, that it may I may seem distracted or easily moved. But I think that it's simply part of my nature that I'm curious and like to have many things going on. So with that said, my current occupation, uh, I'm, I'm Caleb Brand. I'm a mining engineering and geology student. I'm a dual major at the University of Arizona. And currently I'm, I'm completing my undergraduate degree, my bachelor's, while also starting my master's degree. Uh, in the future, I, I plan to switch that master's degree into a Ph.D., um, and become a PhD candidate, but that's uh, coming in the, the upcoming months. And I'm sure that if that occurs, I'll be very glad to share on this podcast. And a lot of people ask me, and again, rightly so, it's a very good question. Why would I ever want to pursue a PhD as a mining engineer? It is completely unnecessary in order to have a successful career. And the the reason why is because for a long time, I've been incredibly fascinated by artisanal and small-scale mining. Recently, I was in my hometown and I was seeing a, a childhood friend that I've had since I was, before I was even a teenager. Um, and I was telling him about a, a recent consultation I did over in Africa for artisanal and small-scale diamond miners. And his immediate response to me was, wow, I remember when you were telling me about this topic back in middle school. Uh, and so... With that said, I think that example, that little anecdote proves that I've been fascinated by artisanal and small-scale mining for, I mean, now nearly a decade. And so the reason I want to pursue a PhD is because it's an opportunity for me to advance our knowledge on artisanal and small-scale mining and make a substantial contribution to our understanding of, of how to perceive this subsector of, of mining. And in particular, I'm fascinated by artisanal and small-scale gold mining and the continued use of mercury uh, within artisanal and small-scale gold mining. And that's this, this whole topic is something that I'll probably do a monologue on in the future that I'm sure could take several hours. But uh, to keep it in brief today, what I'm particularly interested in in pursuing my PhD is, is understanding alternatives to mercury within artisanal and small-scale gold mining. I think that we've clearly understood within the large-scale mining space that there are a variety of mineral processing methods available, and the optimization of the mineral processing method is entirely context-dependent. As ores change, uh, mineral processing changes, and the methods and techniques used to, to maximize recovery and maximize effectiveness and efficiency 
within recovering the valuable materials uh, changes dramatically. And where I see a large knowledge gap is that we have a lot of that information available, or we have the, at least the techniques available to find that information for large-scale mining, but we lack that information for artisanal and small-scale mining. And gold in particular is, is of interest because of the continued use of mercury, which is a very potent neurotoxin. And so what I've been researching for over three years is how we can characterize different ore types that are common within artisanal and small-scale gold mining and use that characterization to better inform the recommended mineral processing methods that are mercury-free, safe, efficient, and effective. And so in the upcoming years, I hope to be able to really dive into that topic and be able to provide real solutions for all the practitioners that are working in this space. And I guess the last, the last thing I want to mention on artisanal and small-scale mining is that many people, when I discuss this topic with them, they, they rightly say that it's a pipe dream of mine, that there's not going to be a future where artisanal and small-scale mining is sustainable, where it's safe, and that's going to continue to perpetuate the bad practices that we see today. And I would agree uh, to an extent. I think that just like in any industry, there's always going to be bad actors, but I think that artisanal small-scale mining has a large, large uh, window of improvement and, and potential to improve. And as such, it's, a, it's an area where we can have a lot of quick wins in order to iteratively improve the sector. And that's, that's why I'm putting my time and effort into artisanal small-scale mining. So that's, that's my educational background and where I want to go in the future with my education. And so right now, um, aside from my education, what I do to really have a proactive, positive influence in this space is that I, I do a lot of work consulting and, and researching for non-governmental organizations uh, for the University of Arizona, as well as consulting for large-scale mining, particularly on sustainability and the interface between large-scale and small-scale mining. And so that, that allows me to get into the field and really make a proactive change as I continue to build my knowledge on artisanal small-scale mining to hopefully make this, this grander impact through my PhD. In addition to uh, all of these projects, I'm also the founder of Young Mining Professionals Arizona, which is the sponsor for this podcast. Um, and Young Mining Professionals Arizona is a organization meant for, as the name implies, mining professionals. Uh, we want to be able to have mining professionals recognize themselves as as more than just miners and to recognize mining as a field that they should be, be, be proud to be in and should take a personal responsibility to act responsibly, sustainably, and in the best interest of our society as a miner. And I think that by recognizing ourselves as professionals in this space, um, we can cultivate that, that cultural shift. Um, and so Young Mind Professionals Arizona, what we do to proactively instigate that is that we provide a lot of resources for Young Mind Professionals. We connect Young Mind Professionals to one another uh, through hosting networking events, galas, as well as providing a variety of online resources, which includes this podcast. So those are my primary occupations at the current moment. And real briefly before I go on to speaking about what this podcast is about, I also want to mention my background uh, because I, I think it shines a light on some of the unique jobs I've had in the past and, and unique occupations that allow me to 
bring a unique perspective to the conversations that we have during the R Resources podcast. Growing up, I was a ranch hand in Southern Colorado. I uh, lived in a very rural, remote area. I uh, spent every day out, out and about in the uh, shrubland of Southern Colorado. And the, the reason I think this is so important to mention is that after spending months and months uh, during my formative years out in nature, out in the woods, out just working with the land, I, I think I've developed a, a strong connection with the land and a deep respect for it. Um, and because of that, I think it, it allows me to connect with a lot of the naysayers of mining as, as well as some of the other groups that mining interacts with. Because ultimately, you know, mining, as as Jean, as uh, Jean de la Barre has said on one of the episodes, that mining is ultimately about the land. I think having that connection to the land is is really crucial to the perspective I bring to the conversations that we have on the Art Resources podcast. In addition to this, I've also spent time uh, working as a, as a mucker. I, I mucked underground in high school, uh, so I've I've done that. I've ran large machinery. Uh, done a lot of the the day labor as some would say uh, and that's that's been pretty influential as well I've, I've been able to get a good understanding of, of what it's like to labor within a mine and and gain that perspective of what the majority of professional miners are doing which is laboring which is moving rock doing blasting drilling etc and then the the last important occupation i i would like to bring up is uh during high school, um, again, during my formative years, I was a nationally competitive speaker and debater. And this was a, an incredibly influential experience for me, as I was able to understand rhetoric argumentation, as well as improve upon my own ability to communicate. And I hope that with that experience, I'm able to provoke new ways of, of thinking about the topics that we're discussing on these episodes, as, as well as provide a, a, a logical sequence of argumentation uh, for you to follow throughout these episodes. To conclude on, on my personal background, I hope that that allows you to understand where I'm coming from and, and a lot of my experiences that ultimately influenced this podcast. And again, I would like to reiterate that while my background may seem to be rather eccentric, uh, that I think that it's it's part of my nature to be curious and to have these many projects going all at once. And I don't... I hope it does not come off as, as reflecting that I am not a, a dedicated, passionate, hard worker for all of these projects. So now on to the, the real meat of today's episode, which is introducing the podcast, uh, the R Resources podcast, and answering the big question, what is this podcast about? As I was able to understand rhetoric, argumentation, as well as improve upon my own ability to communicate. And I hope that with that experience, I'm able to provoke new ways of, of thinking about the topics that we're discussing on these episodes, as, as well as provide a, a, a logical sequence of argumentation uh, for you to follow throughout these episodes. They may perceive it as being very negative. Um, as someone that is passionate about mining and loves mineral resourcing, they may be confused why I see mining as an inevitable evil. Uh, so so let's dive into that. So to start, I'm, I'm personally just fascinated and amazed by 
the wealth of elements and their unique properties that the universe has has granted us in some way. And so an example of this is, is carbon. Uh, so I think I think I'm I'm shooting a dead horse here, but carbon is both, you know, what makes up life. It's it's what fuels our cars, may not be fueling our cars very far in the future, but it currently fuels our cars. It's also what we're made out of. Um, yet it also makes diamond, it makes graphite, it makes a variety of incredible materials that are beyond our, our wildest imagination in terms of their, their physiochemical properties. And so carbon is just one example, but we can look at all the different metals. We can look at the, the halides, the rare earths, everything. And with each and every element, we'll see these unique properties. And these are only exponentially expanded upon when they're combined with other elements and produce materials like steel, uh, glass, and a variety of other things that, that we use in our daily lives and as as well as things that we are as as a society and as humans are incredibly fascinated by. And, and the best example of this is gems and, and the fact that we have been mining gems for literally thousands of years and just for their pure beauty. It's something that we seem to be mystified by. And so at the at the end of the day, we have this unique uh, wealth of, of elemental resources available to us. And it's, it's truly outstanding. And we're lucky enough to have many of these resources near the surface of the earth, which we all know that we inhabit and are the easiest to, to access. And we have a lot of these resources just, just in the crust, in the lithosphere. And so... Now, diving into what mining is and why it's an inevitable evil, we, we want these materials. We are mystified by these unique elements that are, that are within the crust. And so there's a demand for these materials. And with demand comes a, a supply. If, if people are demanding rubies, if they're demanding gold, silver, titanium, etc., people will find ways to extract them from the lithosphere. And that is what mining is in principle. Yet, I have yet to meet somebody who is just ecstatic to dig a hole in the ground, to pump water out of the ground, move dirt, and extract you know, less than 1% of the dirt to... And, and the best example of this is gems. And, and the fact that we have been mining gems for thousands of years and just for their pure beauty, it's something that we seem to be mystified by. And so at the, at the end of the day, we have a wealth of, of elemental resources available to us. And it's, it's truly outstanding. And we're lucky enough to have many of these resources near the surface of the earth, which we all know that we inhabit and are the easiest to, to access. And we have a lot of these resources just, just in the crust, in the lithosphere. And so... Now, diving into what mining is and why it's an inevitable evil, we, we want these materials. We are mystified by these unique elements that are, that are within the crust. And so there's a demand for these materials. And with demand comes a, a supply. If, if people are demanding rubies, if they're demanding gold, silver, titanium, etc., 
people will find ways to extract them from the lithosphere. And that is what mining is in principle. Yet, yet to meet somebody who is just ecstatic, you know, less than 1% of the dirt to use in later processes. At the end of the day, the processes of digging holes in the ground is not beneficial. Uh, nobody, nobody particularly, as far as I know, enjoys digging holes in the ground in order to extract elements and minerals. So because of that, I see mining as, as an inevitable evil, meaning that the acts of mining, digging holes in the ground and, and moving rock from another, crushing it, grinding it, blasting it, all of the processes that go into mining, it seems to me that mining itself, the activities involved with mining are not positive. Yet, it's inevitable because the, the products of mining are something that humanity is simply not going to go without. All of the different unique elements, minerals, and materials that we get from the earth and from the lithosphere is something that we're going to continue to do for as, as long as I can tell and something that we're going to demand for as, as long as humanity persists. So as such, uh, performance within mining. And so with that in mind, but I don't see that as our reality. I think that as we continue to discover more and learn more about our planet, people, and the interactions between them, I think that there's always going to be room to improve. And as such, it's always going to be valuable for us to continue to listen to new perspectives and dive into some of the issues that, that we're presented with until we are able to reach a, a, the minerals that are produced through mining while minimizing the negativities that are involved with the processes of extracting those mineral resources and managing our mineral resources wisely. So that's what this podcast is about. Um, I, as I previously mentioned, I do a lot of research right now with trying to improve the well-being of artisanal and small-scale miners and improving that one space. Uh, but we have, a, we have a lot of different problems that we encounter within the management of our resources. So hopefully this podcast is going to be able to bring to light a variety of voices and perspectives that you may not hear in your daily life and be able to provide you with unique ways of addressing some of the uh, negative externalities that mining produces in order to help us maximize mining. And, and perhaps some people out here listening to this may believe that this argument is moot, that there is no need to further improve mining, that we've already reached peak performance within mining. And my answer to that is that Perhaps I'm too young. Perhaps I'm, I'm too curious to, to believe that. Um, but I don't see that as our reality. I think that as we continue to discover more and learn more about our people and the interactions between them, I think that there's always going to be. And as such, it's always going to be valuable for us to continue to listen to new perspectives and dive into some of the issues that, that we're presented with until we are able to reach a... a absolute peak 
uh, maximization of well-being for, uh, through mining and managing our resources responsibly. I also believe uh, that many of the, the issues that are touted as being insurmountable, as being beyond the control of daily people, a lot of these people were dying. It's also a major social issue. One Another major part of this podcast is being able to empower all the listeners to understand that many of these issues are, are collective issues and that taking proactive actions within their daily lives can make a substantial impact on our industry and our society as a whole. So I, I want to take a few minutes to go through some, some of the top issues that I see consistently occurring uh, on, for example, on Ernst & Young's top risks for the mining industry in 2023 or during PDAC, SME, and the other uh, industry events. And I just want to discuss them in brief in order to hopefully prove to you that as mining professionals, as people interested in our resources, that you can make a, a real impact on these issues. And to simply lament in being insurmountable issue that we, we can't interact with, that we can't improve upon, is unproductive and unwise. So the first of these issues that I want to discuss today is environmental social governance, uh, otherwise known as ESG. And my basic, my most simplistic argument against uh, touting ESG as some type of new issue that we're facing that we don't have a precedent to understand is simply that it's, a, it's not a new issue. And we can bring up examples of this. Uh, but, I mean, a personal favorite of mine is that if we look at the Spanish colonies in Peru and Bolivia, they faced a major, major ESG problem when they realized that they should be slaving uh, the local people to work in their mines. And that there was a, a major governance issue when a lot of these people were dying. It's also a major social issue. And we were able to overcome that. And I, I think that Brian Maybe, Eric Lilford, and Michael Hitch from Curtin University, they, they summarize this very well um, in a recent paper talking about ESG risk and uncertainty. And they say, quote, ESG risk factors are not new in the mining industry. They have always existed, but have gone, un have gone relatively unmanaged due to being outside of the decision-making perspective used by many mining companies focused on maximizing short-term monetary values for shareholders. As a result, suboptimal decisions have typically been made due to the evaluation and planning tools used. And so I, I would like to compare a lot of what we are, are touting as being insurmountable within ESG to some of the, the technical issues that we've overcome to, to a degree, that they are still challenges and we're still advancing our knowledge on them. Um, but we don't see them as, as being simply insurmountable. And we recognize that each and every one of us can help overcome the, the current issues that we see within these topics. And so the, the two examples I'm going to, to bring to your attention are ground control issues and air ventilation. So 
we've been mining for millennia. And I'm sure that as people started moving underground, they were not sure why uh, parts of the ground moved in the way that they did, why sometimes hill slopes uh, gave out and why sometimes they held strong, why sometimes tunnels collapsed and sometimes they didn't. That was a problem that we faced for a long time. Uh, but we didn't do much about it because we didn't have knowledge about how to overcome it. Now we understand stress fields, uh, tectonic regimes, and we're able to be more proactive about it. Similarly, in ESG, these issues have existed for a long time, but now we have the tools to actually understand it and proactively uh, work to mitigate the issues that they pose. On a similar note, air ventilation. Air circulation and the circulation of fluids is something that is, as, as Richard Feynman puts it, is one of the most interesting and, and unknown parts of the physical universe. Uh, but we've been able to use empirical models over the past century or so to be able to greatly improve our understanding of air ventilation in order to make it safe to work at extremely deep parts of the uh, lithosphere. As And you know now air ventilation is something that we feel competent that we can control. Similarly, in the past, it was not something that we understood, and so we, we went by luck. If something bad happened within air ventilation, uh, people died, and it was unfortunate, but there wasn't a type of proactive mitigation of ventilation issues. And similarly to, to ESG, we simply were not acknowledging that these issues were existent, that we were previously we were unaware that bad air can cause death, just like Previously, we we're unaware of the negative impacts that uh, wastewater can have on the local environment. And so ESG is not something that is incredibly new or insurmountable. And just like a lot of the technical challenges that we face, if we investigate it, study it, understand it, we can start providing proactive solutions. And while we are always going to be continuously improving upon the issues faced, in ESG, just like we always improve upon the technical issues that we have within ground control and air ventilation, for us to make a scapegoat out of this issue is, is mineral scarcity. So people and, and societies have been touting mineral scarcity in that there's a concept that we're going to be running out of minerals in the near future. This, this concept has been occurring for decades and centuries. Uh, for example, there there was a visual capitalist article that was published in 2014 that argued that we we're going to run out of gold in 2020, yet gold production is, is reaching peaks and we're increasing gold production every day. Uh, and so that's that's just one uh, that's that's one anecdotal example of, of this mineral scarcity argument and an example of it not being true. Um, but this is this has occurred within oil and gas. It's occurred within minerals. It's occurred within water for for centuries. And I think that there are versions of this argument that are correct. For example, if we do not open new mines or recycle, then yes, at some point we will run out of our mineral resources. Or, for example, if prices do not increase, it will become uneconomical to mine. And we will run out of minerals because no one will be mining more of them. But the reality is that without these, these major 
ifs in front of the in front of their argument we will not be running out of resources if if we take a look at the past century and, and millennia of mineral resourcing we see prices rise we see technology develop and we also see our ability to recognize where mineral resources occur has expanded significantly as such i i think it's not a wise argument to tout that we're going to run out of minerals and i think another important point here is that let's let's think about who is most often touting this this type of argument and what they might have to gain from uh, arguing that we're going to run out of mineral resources and as such we should be taking policy measures that are more lenient um, etc etc a lot of times it can be the ceos of of mineral resourcing companies it can be geologists uh, or other you know mining professionals who all have substantial ego gains as well as monetary gains from being able to argue and and create this belief of mineral resources being finite and being something that that we need to be hoarding this environmental regulations should decrease in order to lower operational costs, et cetera. My, my last comment on the mineral scarcity argument is that I think it's also important to realize that at some point in time, we don't want to be mining. Going back to my view that mining is an inevitable evil, if we have an opportunity to stop mining, I believe that we should. Mining is always going to have negative externalities. And so if there's a way that we can continue to provide the mineral resources needed for our society to function, out having the negative externalities, then we have really maximized our ability to manage and utilize our resources effectively. And, and I believe that this will happen in the, in the future. You know, at some point, our population will level out and our need to produce new, new materials, you know, steel, phones, laptops, speakers, whatever else, it, it will reach a peak. And at that point, we should try to recycle every piece of recyclable material in order to minimize the amount of mining that we have. And so with that in mind, I, I think it also puts this idea of having mineral scarcity uh, as, as even less of a concern um, because our population is going to level out in the near future. Some say by 2100, we're going to reach a stable population. And so Unless there's not enough mineral resources to last the next 80 years, I, I think that this argument is quite moot. The, the last argument I want to talk about, and I hope this one in particular is something that everyone who's listening can, can feel like they can proactively improve the conversation around, is, is automation. And automation really is, it's a, it's a challenging problem because... As we've seen in the past with things like the, the Ford truck or uh, computers, microphones, everything else, radio, it, it brings up the question of do we want to reduce the well-being of people by changing their occupation while ultimately improving the well-being of our society by removing people from potentially unsafe operations while duly improving the effectiveness of, our, of these operations? And that, that is a, a really, it's a challenging question. But I think that when you pose it as such, that we're, we're making a, a trade-off between the short-term 
negative impact of automation, meaning that people need to change their jobs for the long-term well-being of our society and, and for humans overall, I think that the answer becomes quite simple. That said, it doesn't mean that we we need to automate everything without considering uh, the negative impacts. I think that we must acknowledge these negative impacts and work to mitigate them as, as best as we can. And, and that said, though, I think that what we see currently within automation, within the mining industry, is simply simply hurting our ability to, to further improve and minimize the negative externalities in mining. And that is that there are many mining operations that simply languish in this question without taking any type of action. Um, but I think that as mining professionals, all of us can can be more proactive in how we communicate our thoughts on automation and bring it into the perspective of, yes, we, we are making a trade-off, that we are taking a, a, a hit in the short term in order to maximize the well-being of our society in the long term. And that's something that I think that everyone can agree to is in our best interest. Having that new perspective in mind, I think that each and every listener of this podcast can now go forward with their lives and, and be able to proactively improve upon the conversations surrounding automation within how we source our resources. And so, so these are just a few examples of, of some of the issues that I hope to discuss during the podcast and some of the, the thinking I have on these issues, as well as being able to highlight how by evaluating and investigating these issues from a, a very objective standpoint that I can hopefully empower you as a listener to be able to improve upon the, the rhetoric and communicate proactive solutions throughout the mining industry. And, and through that type of collective action, through that type of positive communication, we'll be able to make substantial improvements upon how we source our materials. And so my caveat to this is obviously these three examples I bring up um, which again are ESG, mineral scarcity, and automation. These these are certainly cherry picked examples. And you know, if you have arguments against what I've said, I'm, I honestly I'd love to hear them and be able to explore these ideas with you further. Um, but it's a good example of again how the listeners of this podcast can can change their perspective on these issues and that they're not insurmountable. That they're things that they can proactively uh, improve upon it and make changes upon. Now back, kind of going back to the podcast, I, I, I see that we have a lot of issues in front of us. Um, and I, I brought up those three. I've also brought up artisanal mining. And one of the reasons I, I made this podcast is because I cannot go individually solving all these issues. But I know that there are people out there who are solving these issues, who are taking a, a deep dive into understanding these issues and providing solutions. As such, I, I want to be able to share their wisdom with you, the listener. And so um, I'm hoping that the R Resources podcast is able to do that. And that is really the essence of the R Resources podcast, which is to bring interesting, provocative, and novel ideas into the public sphere so you, the listener, can formulate new ideas about our world and our resources and hopefully use those ideas in order to improve upon our current practices. The mining industry is simply simply hurting our ability to to further improve and minimize the negative externalities in mining. And that is that there are many mining operations that simply languish in this question without taking any type of action. Um, but I think that as mining professionals, all of us can can be more proactive in how we communicate our thoughts on automation and 
bring it into the perspective of yes, we we are making a trade off that we are taking a, a a hit in the short term in order to maximize the well being of our society in the long term, and that's something that I think that everyone can agree to is in our best interest. And so, having that new perspective in mind, I think that each and every listener of this podcast can now go forward with their lives and and be able to proactively improve upon the conversations surrounding automation within how we source our resources. And so so these are just a few examples of of some of the issues that I hope to discuss during the podcast and some of the, the thinking I have on these issues, as well as being able to highlight how by evaluating and investigating these issues from a, a very objective standpoint that I can hopefully empower you as a listener to be able to improve upon the, the rhetoric and communicate proactive solutions throughout the mining industry. And, and through that type of collective action, through that type of positive communication, we'll be able to make substantial improvements upon how we source our materials um, and so my caveat to this is obviously these three examples I bring up, um, which again are ESG, mineral scarcity, and automation. These these are certainly cherry picked examples. And you know if you have arguments against what I've said, I'm, I honestly I'd love to hear them and be able to explore these ideas with you further. Um, but feel satisfied that the conversations and the topics that are discussed during the Our Resources podcast have been able to make a substantial change in how we manage our resources. For example, I, I would love to be able to, to look back on some of our first episodes, like with Jody Banta in, in five years, you know, she talks about this idea of, of bringing mining out of the, the silo and bringing it into the public sphere. I would love to be able to look back in five years after doing this podcast and being able to say that we've had a substantial impact on, on bringing mining into the public sphere and that mining is no longer this niche topic that most people can't discuss and that it's something that people feel comfortable discussing in, in public discourse. And so that's that's the long-term goal for, for the podcast as I see it. Um, and I will, I will continue to put forward episodes as, as long as I'm financially and as long as I'm financially able to as well as, uh, as time allows me to do so. I've taken up several, a large portion of your time um, and I, I appreciate you you taking the time to listen to this monologue, and some may call it a rant, um, but I hope it was able to provide you with some valuable insight into how I perceive the world, my background, and, and the future of the R Resources podcast. And ultimately, I hope that I've convinced you that A, this podcast is worth investing time into, that continuing to listen to it will provide you with perspectives that will enable you to be more proactive and, and improve the mining industry. And B, I hope I've been able to prove to you that, that you can make a significant impact on the mining industry and on our society overall. And simply by, by changing your perspective, by taking a more proactive perspective, uh, you can have a, a real significant impact on how we manage our resources. And if I haven't, if I haven't completed my mission in convincing you of these these two things, um, I'd love to hear why. I, I always enjoy hearing why I'm wrong. I think that's the best way for me to learn. Um, and as such, feel free to reach out to me. I'll put my email in, in the comment on this 
podcast. And I, I hope to hear from people telling me that I am wrong, that I haven't convinced them. And, and we can discuss that further. So anyway, with that said, thank you again for taking the time to listen to this episode. And I hope to provide you with more useful conversations in the future.